Global Yoga Flow Podcasts. In this podcast, we discuss the three basic yoga philosophies. But let's begin speaking of philosophy on its own. What is it? What is philosophy? Philosophy is the study of love. That is what the etymology of the word is, the study of love. So love is who we are. The yoga philosophy teaches us that. And so does Jesus and many other spiritual paths. Love is who we are, each of us shining, sharing, expressing love in our own unique way to offer a stereophonic symphony of the one love that we all emanate from. And so we're studying where the love flows easily, sweetly, and where it gets stuck. And then we're asking the question, how do we increase more of the flow? Because that feels wonderful. And how do we decrease the stuckness? How do we unstick the stuck and let the flow go again? So philosophy is looking at what is creating joy, basically, for human beings, and what is creating suffering, fundamentally, for human beings. And then working out the antidote for the suffering and working out ways to increase the joy, the flow of love. That's what philosophy is. It's really a cool body of study. So this was the idea of the rishis and the early uh, yogis in developing a philosophy and helping students and, and the population find greater joy in their lives and to eliminate suffering. So classic philosophy is the first level of yoga philosophy. Classical yoga philosophy sees the worlds of spirit and matter as separate. The world of spirit or pure consciousness is called purusha. And the world of form, matter, called prakriti. And that includes mind, matter, and emotions. And what was observed by the early yogis was that when we were deeply enmeshed in our humanity, in the world of prakriti, we tended to suffer more. And when we extracted ourselves from human pleasures, from earthly desires, we seemed to be more at peace. And so the classical yoga philosophy developed from this observation, and the teachings were basically teachings of renunciation. Release desire. Let go of desire. Renounce yourself from human pleasures. And abide in your soul. Basically, survive on as little as possible. Go into deprivation and meditate. Just be in your heart. And, and, and so a lot of the teachings were very austere, and there were a lot of people who retreated to monasteries or to very deep um, nature retreats and didn't really interact in a very thick and juicy, tangible way with the physical world and instead sought a sense of their inner being and a sense of connection with God their entire lives. And this was the solution. But people began to question that, as you might be doing right now. That philosophy, you can, you can feel the sensibility of it. There are times when that would be extremely appropriate, really emphasizing the separation between spirit and matter. But in, our, in the flow and fullness of our lives, the question rises if we are not meant to dive deeply into this 
chewy and juicy physical experience, then why do we even come here? Then why was the experience laid out before us? If in fact each of us is an aspect of God and all flowing in the expansive expression of God, then this surely isn't a mistake, this earth and these sensations we have and the delights of being human. They can't be a mistake. And if it's natural, and it seems to be very natural, that these desires for delicious food, for adventure, for touch and sex, uh, if these are rising from within us, then why, might, why would we question them? Why would we call them bad? Why would we try to suppress them? And they don't always cause suffering. Often they cause incredible delight. So perhaps instead of squelching these desires, there is some way that we can channel them more appropriately and eliminate suffering and increase joy. So these kinds of questions are what caused the yoga philosophy to begin to evolve. It's important to understand that the philosophy isn't something that is fed to us and we're, we have to fit ourselves into it. It's something that is developed by human minds and hearts coming together and, and chewing on things and refining them and evolving them. So even this discussion, I'm hoping evokes in each of you who are listening, the ability to question everything and come up with a, an even better idea, even the tiniest refinement, and then offer it out there. Because philosophy is an evolving thing, just like the expression of love and the expressions of, of our human experience. And so what came after classical yoga philosophy was called the Advaita Vedanta. Advaita Vedanta. And um, Advaita, Ved Advaita Vedanta means the, the wisdom of non-dualism. And, and you can sense how that is an evolution from the classical yoga philosophy because basically what it's saying is non-dualism. Spirit and matter are not separate. Hey. The yummy feeling we have when uh, a human pleasure is um, fulfilled, that's, that's spirit. And, and, and the beauty of a rose, that is spirit in the matter. And uh, the, the electricity of lovers touching, that's, that's the presence of God in that very physical experience. So the Advaita Vedanta was saying, hey, we're going to rethink things here. And, and we don't see spirit and matter as, as separate. In fact, we see every atom of every structure on earth and every being on earth is as fully imbued with spirit. And... The other thing that came from the Advaita Vedanta, another aspect of non-dualism, is seeing that individuals were not really separate, that we are not really individuals. It's all one love. And, and this is where the field of maya comes in, where the, the one source energy or one God comes through what is called in the Advaita Vedanta philosophy, the field of illusion. And this illusion implied that our differentiation, our diversity, our individuality was an illusion. And so in Advaita Vedanta, the main cause of suffering was seen as uh, buying into the idea that our individuality was important, that, that we were special in some way. And so the antidote or the release of suffering was deemed to be a release of any sense of personal accomplishment uh, from anything you were inspired to create 
or or offer in your life. Uh, and, and so an Advaita Vedanta um, follower might say something like, oh, it wasn't me. It was just spirit moving through me. I'm not special. It's all just God moving through us. We're all just one love. Nobody is really separate. Nobody is really special. We're all one. It's all God. Don't take credit for it. That kind of thing. And again, you can sense a warm, unified harmony in that. But there's also, when you take it to an extreme, a sense of, hey, wait a second. I, I Can't we have both? Can't I feel very diverse and unique and yet at the same time connected to my brothers and sisters? And this was the questioning that came up that evolved Advaita Vedanta into um, a third yoga philosophy. But before we get there, let's go back to a fundamental idea of Advaita Vedanta philosophy, and that is that, that there is no such thing as the individual soul. And this is a, an aspect of Buddhism, the belief that when an individual dies, transitions, there is not a sense of your individual soul continuing on a journey. There is complete absorption with one source, with God, and you absolutely lose any sense of you separate from any other soul or separate from source itself. And that was something that was feeling not so right in the heart of hearts of many people. And that's why they begin to chew on again, this idea of philosophy and this idea of if we are not meant to feel special, then why are we born unique and so different? And why is there contrast and, and controversy in our lives? Nothing, given that nothing is a mistake, God doesn't make mistakes, then there must be some purpose to this diversity that is natural and, and ever flowing and expanding in our experience. And so this is when the street talk started that gave birth to, uh, Tantric philosophy, which is the basic philosophy that Wisdom Flow Yoga rises from. And in Tantric philosophy, again, it's not that, that classical philosophy or Advaita Vedanta was poo-pooed or said, those are wrong and bad. It was almost like Einstein and Newton, where we said, okay, yeah, okay, I can see some of that makes sense, and, and let me add to it. I'm going to add to it. And, and, and maybe some of what I add sort of refutes aspects of what you said, but I think all in all, we're just creating a, a richer um, feast as we add ideas to this. So, so that was the idea as tantric philosophy was evolved. And tantric philosophy says, hey, let's assume that everything is perfect and brilliant as created. And it's just our human perspective that's a little bit wonked as we try to understand this. Let's start with that pre premise that everything, the dark, the light, even wars and murders and, and poverty, that all of it in some way is, in an absolute sense, serving the expansion of goodness. And all of it is emanating from a source that is supremely good. Let's just start with that assumption that everything in our experience is supreme consciousness at its core. Let's assume that. And then from there, let's think about how expansion in nature happens. Let's look at nature. Of course, it is a full expression of this source energy, which we're uh, 
giving great reverence to and an understanding its deep, deep intelligence. Let's look at nature and model the philosophy after that. And so we look at nature and we say, well, they're in an ecosystem, incredible unity. Yes, everything is one in that ecosystem, but all of it is bouncing off and intermixing with each other to create expansion. The diversity, the biodiversity of an ecosystem is what creates the strength and the balanced growth of the system. And such is true for human beings. If we didn't have each other to, to sort of push against, or I see what I do like, I see what I don't want like, or, ooh, I see what he's doing. I like certain aspects of it, but not all of it. Oh, and look what she's doing. Oh, I could do that, but I'd change it in that way a little bit. You get a sense of how that mixing it up and bouncing it off and sort of rubbing up against each other, and that diversity is what enriches us. It makes us more clear on who we are. And the more strong and clear we get with our own individual truth and offering, the more authentic and pure we can um, offer our love to those around us and also offer it as the expansion of one love. And so the tantric philosophy, philosophy really brings it back around to, okay, Yes, you could distinguish between spirit and matter. You, you could distinguish that. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's helpful to do that, perhaps at the end of somebody's life. When you're getting ready to transition, it would be natural that you would want to start to pull your focus and attention away from the physicality of your body of your connection to the earth. You're getting ready to go back home to your oversoul. Uh, you're getting ready for what's next on your soul's journey. So it makes sense to emphasize that separation. But when you're in the meaty, juicy part of your life, you really want to feel the fusion, the union of spirit and matter. And then Tantra also says, oh, this Advaita Vedanta, this idea that there is no separation between spirit and matter, and in fact, no separation at all, and that all of us are one love. Yes, we celebrate that. But let's, but let's look at this whole individual soul and individuality thing, because I'm pr feeling pretty strongly that, that I'm on an individual soul's journey and when I die, I'm still going to know who I am. I'm going to feel who my seed soul is, and I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm pretty sure that's going on. And on top of that, while I'm here, I'm pretty sure that like in nature, our individuality is important. Our diversity is important. We're not supposed to all get along. We're not. Same thing in the wild, right? We can have um, a sense of right and appropriate place in the community, but we're not supposed to all agree with each other. We're not supposed to all like the same colors and the same foods and vote for the same people. We're supposed to mix it up and have different ideas, including different ideas of, of what God is and, and what is the best way to worship. And if we can honor fully in ourselves that this is our individual way of living, then we can have that same respect as we honor other people's uh, desire to live sometimes in a very different way. Um, and that's really what, what vibrant peace is about. It's not about homogenizing everybody to agree on the same thing. It's letting each individual be wildly authentic 
and free in their diverse expression and then finding a way to make it all work just like in the richness of uh, an ecosystem. So the tantric philosophy is also looking at some of the basic qualities of the essence that we all share. And those qualities are unity, number one, freedom, freedom. Every creature wants to be free and express freely. And growth, we all want to grow and expand, learn more become more powerful, you know, and that growth takes on different forms depending on different stages in our lives and, and really depending on our personality, the type of uh, soul's journey that we're on. But growth, we all want to feel that, oh, I'm becoming more, I'm becoming wiser, or I'm becoming stronger or more skilled. And, and we also want joy. We want joy. We want that delight of deep connection, that delight of, of creating something new, the satisfaction. Oh, where there was nothing, I created something, and it's beautiful, and it's helpful. So we're looking for that joyful purpose. And, and kindness is also our nature. And we know that because it feels good to be kind. It feels good to praise. It feels good to help out. And when we don't, when we don't do that, when, when we walk away and, and let other people suffer in our heart of hearts, in our quiet moments, we don't feel good. So this is the other thing that the Tantra philosophy is doing is saying, let's look at the fundamental essence of a human heart, a human being, and recognize that this is a shared experience. We have much more in common with each other than we have differences. That the roots of each of us being freedom-seeking, joy-seeking, expansion-seeking beings connects us deeply and allows us to be wildly diverse without feeling separate. Yeah? And that, that's the crux of the tantric philosophy. And also an understanding that contrast is powerful, that the, the darkness in our lives is, is, is meant to be the, the, the deep underground where seeds of new growth can be planted. It's the contrasty chaos that, that becomes a new order. Uh, we've all had the experience of, of being in a difficult situation and telling ourselves, I will never let this happen again. And, and from that determination, um, a passion for, you know, for, for new order, a new level of strength or a new level of sharp awareness rises within us and we become something more and we can actually offer something more because of that dark period. It's like Khalil Gibran in The Prophet. He says, uh, is, is it not your sorrow that carves you more deeply that you may receive more joy when you return to joy? And so this is another aspect of the tantric philosophy, that the dark and the light are seen as equally important and that we're here to create a beautiful and life-enhancing dance between the two, just the way that sunlight might stream through the filter of a dense uh, tree and, and the dappled light of a shadow and light dancing on the forest floor creates something that is just glorious and beautiful. And, and you're like that too. 
So thank you for tuning in, and that's a basic introduction to the three basic philosophies of yoga. Hope that made sense to you, and we, these are things we talk about in the Wisdom Flow Yoga Teacher Trainings, and I hope you have a chance to join us sometime soon. Thanks for tuning in. Aloha. Thank you.